Good morning, I'm Tommy Graham, one of the pastors here at Centerpoint, and this morning we're going to continue on in our series entitled, I Didn't Catch Your Name. Uh, we've been talking about characters in the Bible, that um, there's stories there in the Bible, and they've that Jesus came in contact with, or the disciples came in contact with, but we don't know, actually we don't know their name. We know their story, but we don't know their name. And so we're going to continue on that today. We're going to be looking at the, the, jail, the jailer that was in Philippi. We're going to be looking at that story. Today, John is actually over in our Montgomery side. He's preaching over there this morning. So he asked if I would uh, fill in this morning. I said, I would love to fill in this morning. I told him, I said, matter of fact, it's Father's Day. I know people are ready to go, ready to go. So I said, if they will say amen a lot and encourage me along, it'll be a really short message. If they don't, I'm going to drag it on all day, okay? All right, so I hear some amens going on already. So, <laughs> Hey, before we ever get started, can we give our ushers a round of applause? Man, they did a great job seating everyone this morning. So um, just, just I want to thank you guys for that. We've got a great crowd here this morning. So, Hey, well, this morning as we talk about the Philippian jailer, um, I want to summarize the story for you because it's a story in the book of Acts chapter 16. So I'm gonna get, you're going to get to hear... Acts chapter 16, Tommy version, a little bit today, if that's okay. But um, Paul and Silas are on their second missionary journey. And as they're going along the way, they've hit some of the churches that they've already been to on their first journey. And then they decide that they want to go preach the gospel down south from where they're at. And so they start to go south, and the Holy Spirit says, no, don't want you to go that way. So the next day they decide, well, we're going to go west. And the Holy Spirit says, no, I don't want you to go that way. And then they had this dream. Paul has this dream of this Macedonian man says, hey, we need you to come up north and come over here to northern Greece, and we need you to preach the gospel over here. So that next day they decide that's where the Holy Spirit is calling them to go. So they leave, and they end up in a town in Macedonia. Macedonia would be like a state. They'd be like the state of Alabama, and they end up in Philippi, which would be like Prattville, okay? So they end up in this town where they begin to preach the gospel. Um, amazing things begin to happen, and as they're preaching, they have this demon-possessed girl who begins to follow them. And as she's following them, she begins to cry out, Hey, hey, these guys are preachers of the Most High. They're telling you how to be saved. And she does this day after day after day. And she had this ability to tell the future. And um, that was what the demon would do in her. But she begins to just pester uh, Paul and disciples until one day Paul just gets tired and says, Enough. He turns to her and he rebukes the demon and says, Get out of her in the name of Jesus. And all of a sudden, the demon flees, and no longer can she predict the, uh, predict the future, which is great for her. She gets a demon cast over. It's not so good for her master, because that's the way he made her his money. So he causes a big riot, and they begin to persecute Paul and Silas, and they beat them, and they flog them. And then they hand the, the city officials hand Paul and Silas over to um, the, this Philippian jailer, and they say, here, you have one job and one responsibility, and that is to make sure that these men do not get out of this prison. Only job you have. Make sure that they do not escape. So he puts them into the very inner part of the prison. And this isn't a prison like you and I think of. It's not like, hey, there's uh, guys in the jail cell watching Oprah, or I guess Oprah's not even on anymore, but watching whoever, Dr. Phil, or what. They're not watching TV. Okay, this is like, would be more like a cave. Remember, I put a picture of a, 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 a jail cell. It'd be more like, almost like a cave. They would be in something like this. And not only do they put them in the very inner part of the prison, they actually take and they shackle their feet. And a shackle is, is just simply a device that is used where you can't move. 
So you're in the very inner part of the prison. You've got these shackles on your feet. And that's what this jailer does to Paul and Silas. Matter of fact, more than likely, he was actually part of the beatings. He was actually part of the persecution of Paul and Silas at that time. But all of a sudden, this is what this jailer is responsible for doing. Do not let these men go. So along goes the story. Paul and Silas, you know, most of you know the story. They're in the prison in the very inner parts, and they begin to pray. They begin to sing songs of, uh, to God and to begin to praise him. And the jailer, believe it or not, falls asleep. Okay, you got one responsibility, make sure these guys don't get out of prison, and he falls asleep. Okay? And we're going to pick up the story in Acts Chapter 16, verse 26 through 31. It's after point A on your outline, then you'll also see it under point B. I'm going to go ahead and read uh, these two uh, uh, chunks of Scripture together. So this is what happens at that moment. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison doors were shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open, and he assumed that the prisoners had escaped. So he drew his sword to kill himself, but Paul shouted, Stop! Don't kill yourself! We're all here! The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. If you look down to point B, I'm going to continue on in the story. It says, And they shared the word of the Lord with them, him and, all, and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his house were, household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house, set a meal before them, and he, set, and he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. I'm going to continue on in the story for just a little bit because after the jailer takes them to his house, he binds up their wounds, he heals them, he gives them a meal. He actually, Paul and Silas, they end up going back to the prison because remember if during that time if the jailer uh, if the officials came and the prisoners have broken loose guess what happens to that jailer okay they do away with him matter of fact they probably don't just do away with him that's probably why he's about to kill himself it's, they're probably going to make an example of him and torture him he doesn't want that to happen so they go back to prison that morning, city officials come back and say, hey, we want you to secretly, secretly, we want you to let Paul and Silas go. And Paul says this, <laughs> no, no, no doing here, uh-uh. They publicly put us in prison. They will not secretly let us go. And so they say, you know, he begins to tell them that they're Roman citizens. When they found out they're Roman citizens, they come to them and they say, hey, please, will you please leave our city and uh, we're going to let you go. And that's the story. Well, there's a few things that I want to bring out in this story. Because a lot of times when we, sh we hear the story, we think a lot of Paul and Silas. And how they're praising God in the prison and how the earth shook and it broke all the chains loose. Which is all true. But I want us to think of this story through the eyes of the jailer. Through the eyes of the jailer. Matter of fact, point A on your outline states this. God sent Paul and Silas and an earthquake to get the tension of the jailer in Philippi. Many of us believe this story is a story of God rescuing Paul and Silas, but as great as that sounds, that's really not the story. Because Paul and Silas, even though they escape prison for a few moments, they actually go get back in prison. So God doesn't send the earthquake to get Paul and Silas out of prison. 
He sends the earthquake to get the attention of the jailer. Matter of fact, if you remember the story, God absolutely sends Paul and Silas to this specific city, to this specific town, and he, they, they get put in prison and God sends an earthquake. I believe all of that was a divine appointment from God because God is in the business of pursuing people. He's in the business of pursuing you. He's in the pursuit business of pursuing me because that's his character i know a little bit about that character because I'm, i've kind of when i was 23 years old i kind of had that same mindset that i was a pursuer matter of fact when i met shelly you can come up here for a second when i met shelly uh when i was 23 years old she had had a car wreck and i worked at a body shop and when i was fixing her car um i had uh, found out whose car it belonged to we lived in a town that of about 3,000 people so i grew up in that town i knew everybody there except for her. So when I saw her, I was like, hey, 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 hey. I thought I knew everybody here. I don't know you. And so I began to actively pursue you and get to know you and get your attention. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. You got my attention. <laughs> um, so I worked at a bank, and when he returned my car to me after, you know, fixing it and stuff, he, you know, brought his best friend with me. I didn't know that it was his best friend at the time. They just happened to work at that place. And they hung out and they talked for a second. He left. I thought, oh, that's a nice guy. Next day, he's coming through my lane. I was a bank teller, and he's cashing checks. And then he's. I never through. used that bank before. It just sounded looked good to me, right? He'd never been through there. So then he'd come again. He would, you know, ask for change or this or that. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. Didn't think much more about it. And um, town of three thousand people. There's only a couple of stoplights. And so a couple of times, I looked in my rearview mirror. I was like, that looks like that Tommy guy. <laughs> And then there was one gas station on the way home that I would stop at, um, and I stopped, and I'm, lo and behold, a couple of pumps over, there he is. He's pumping gas. And, um, you know... Just happened to be the same time that you are. The same time. Um, but the thing that got me, y'all, you got... I mean, this was the thing that really got me. Um, the place where I would get my hair done, like, right across the street was where his church was, because at the time we went to two different churches. And so I came out of the salon one day, and there he is, sitting on the sidewalk, playing acoustic guitar. Um, and his best friend was sitting there, the same guy again, with his, you know, his best friend sitting there. And I thought, you know, I'm a musician, you know, so that got my attention. I was like, oh, you play guitar too. And it was Christian music. I was pulling out all the stops, guys. <laughs> He's playing worship music. I love, you know, leading worship. So I was like, okay, I got to stop and talk. So, yeah, you got so me. So I finally got your attention, you didn't I? You got my attention, yes. Can we give her a round of applause? So I actively pursued Shelly, and can I just tell you that God actively pursues us? He actively pursues us. That point where your outline says the jailer was pursued by God. Listen to Psalms 139, 7 through 12, and, and just imagine if I'm not a resemblance of God in this story, okay? So it says that I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride in the wings of the morning, if I dwell in the furthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. And that's what Shelley used to say, I cannot hide from you. Okay? Let me just tell you this. You cannot hide from God. God is actively pursuing you. He's actively chasing you. He's actively trying to get your attention because he's a God. He's a pursuer. He's a lover of humanity. 
and he's, he's desperately trying to get your attention. That's why many of you, there are things that have gone into your life that you've gone through amazing uh, difficulties in your life, and you turn around, it's like, that was a God thing. Or you do this, and that was a God thing. And you see God meeting you at every step along the way. It's because God is trying to get your attention. He's a pursuer of humanity. Matthew 18, 12 through 14, Jesus gives us a little bit example of his heart, of what he's like. And he says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 on the hill and go out and search for the one that is lost? God is a God who actively pursues and actively searches out those who need him. You know, many people say that they found God. Hey, I found God when I was 18 years old. The truth is, saying that you found God, C.S. Lewis says that saying that you found God is like a mouse turning around at a cat going, hey, I found you. No, God's the one pursuing. The cat's the one pursuing the mouse. It's only when we turn around and we stop and we look that we find out his heart. Here's something else that we can learn about the story. The jailer's life was radically impacted by the attitudes and actions of Paul and Silas. Uh, it actively, um, Paul and Silas are thrown into prison by this guy, you know, who probably doesn't care about them, who probably was actively a participant in their beatings, who not only put them into the inner prison, but set them down and put their feet in stocks. And all of a sudden, when the earthquake happens, and Paul and Silas could have ran and they could have left, and the guy's about to kill himself, Paul shows concern for the man's life. He says, hey, don't kill yourself. Don't harm yourself. We're all here. Why did Paul do that? Why was Paul kind to someone who was cruel to him? I believe that when, as Christians, as we take on the heart of our Father and we begin to actively treat others the way that God would treat them, it gives us influence into their lives. Paul and Silas had influence into this guy's life because of their actions and their attitudes. And we need to have the same mentality. Listen to what Luke 6.27 says. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks, and when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. I want you to circle that. I want you to underline that. You will be acting as children of the Most High, for He is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your Father is being compassionate. Did you know that in our lives that we have people around us that influence us? We see their actions, we see their attitudes, and it has an impact on us, whether for the positive or for the negative. And can I tell you that the same thing goes for us, that you, everyone in this room, in the sound of my voice, has an influence. Your actions and your attitudes influence others. It might be at work. It might be at home with your kids. It might be here at church in your small group. 
But your actions and your attitudes have an impact on those around you. And just as Paul and Silas had a positive impact on the jailer, many of us, that's what I mean, Scott, isn't that what you did on the mission trip? You went to be kind to a group of people and you, you gained access into their life because of your attitude and your actions towards the people in Peru. Guys, we need to have the same attitude in our workplace. We need to add the same attitude in our schools, in our homes. Because I think there's two questions we need to ask ourselves on a regular basis. Number one is this. Whose actions and attitudes are making a positive impact on me? Whose actions and attitudes are having a positive impact? Can I just share with you that you become like the people that you hang out with? I'll say that again. You become, your actions and attitudes are a reflection of those that you hang out with on a regular basis. Choose to allow people to influence you that are people that you want to be like. Here's another question we need to ask ourselves. Who are my attitudes and actions impacting? Who are my attitudes and actions impacting? They're impacting someone and they're they're impacting for the positive or for the negative. I think it's a question that we need to ask ourselves on a regular basis. Here's something else that we can learn from this story. And that is the jailer surrendered his life to God in the midst of a crisis. In the midst of a crisis. Here's a note for us. Is that people are more open to God during times of uncertainty, grief, transition, and trials than at any other time. I want to say that again. People are more open to God during times of uncertainty, grief, transitions, and trials than at any other time. As a pastor on staff here at Centerpoint, it's one of my responsibilities is, is uh, gathering and sharing testimonies. There's some of the testimonies that you see up on the um, uh, screens on Sunday mornings. Uh, I get the opportunity to sit down with people and hear their story and gather those. And I was just thinking through some of the testimonies that I have that we've shared here. There are testimonies of people who found God and gave their life to God uh, when they became a single parent, when they had a child out of wedlock and they didn't have a, a, a father wasn't in the, in the situation. They were in a desperate situation and they turned to God and God met them in their need. We have people who've turned to God and found God in the midst of losing a job. We've had people that have moved to this city that the Air Force or a job or for some other circumstances brought them to this community. And all of a sudden during that transition of not knowing anyone, they were open to God's leading in their life. We have testimonies that we have shared of these things over and over and over. C.S. Lewis says this, God whispers to us in our pleasure, speaks in our conscience, but, in sh- but he shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. It's in those midst of trials that we get to do one of two things. We either get to run towards God or we run away from God. And that's why it's such a crucial moment in people's lives. Listen to what 2 Chronicles 15, 3-4 says this about Israel. It says, For a long time Israel was without the true God, without a priest to teach them and without laws to instruct them. But whenever they were in trouble, underline that, but whenever they were in trouble and turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought Him out, they found Him. When they stopped and they turned around and they, decided, they found that God was pursuing them and they stopped running from him, they found him and he met them in their time of trials. They met them in their time of trouble. And here's a life application for us. 
We need to be intentional about sharing God's love with those who are facing pivotal moments in their lives. When you're at work and you find that someone just moved into this community, it's an opportunity to share God's love, to be kind to them. When you know that someone is going through a rough patch in their marriage, it's an opportunity to you to show love and to be kind. When you know that someone is having trouble with one of their kids or one of their kids is going through an illness or a sickness, it's an opportunity to share the love of God in that moment because people are more open at that time than any other time. You know, we talk a lot about uh, how to approach people and people that are lost and hurting, how we as a, a church can actually um, take the great commandment and go and, and actually uh, reach those people. And you've heard it, if you've come here for very long, you've heard this, this statement about we need to become aware, we need to commit to prayer, we need to show we care, we need to be ready to share. How many of you have heard that in this church? Yeah, almost all of you, right? Well, if you read the story, Paul and Silas do all four of these things. They become aware that God was calling and there were people that needed to hear the gospel in Macedonia. So they went. While they're in prison, in this inner prison, they begin to pray. Now, if I'm in prison, I'm praying for one thing. God, would you get me out of these chains? Would you set me free? That would be my cry, my prayer. But if you look at Paul's writings, every time Paul's in prison, he doesn't pray to get set free. He prays that God would use him in the midst of his change to preach the gospel. I believe that Paul is praying in the midst of that prison, God, would you give me an opportunity to share your love with someone here? It might just be those other prisoners that can hear in the other jails as we sing and pray. It might be the jailer. But they begin to pray for opportunities. And then when the opportunity arrives, they show that they cared. Hey, don't harm yourself. We're all here. We're concerned for you. And then it gave them the opportunity to share God's love with them. That's what it looks like. It looks like being intentional about sharing God's love. Point B on your outline states this, that when the Philippian jailer um, believed in Jesus, his life was radically changed. Okay? It was radically changed. Remember, he, um, he, he calls Paul and Silas out and he asks them, what must I do to be saved? Now, there's lots of different commentaries on this. That some, He's asking, hey, how do I have eternal life? Some people believe, me personally, I believe that he's probably at that moment not really concerned about his eternal life. He's really praying, hey, all these prison doors are open. And I know if any of you escape that I'm going to lose my life. So I think he's probably at that moment going, hey, what must I do to be saved? And Paul and Silas all of a sudden turn the table I'm saying, I know that you're concerned about your physical life, but we're more concerned about your spiritual life. Just like the woman at the well who when asked Jesus, would you give me water? And Jesus says, hey, I'll give you spiritual water. That's what happens at this moment. And then they bring them home. They bring Paul and Silas to their house. And they begin to bind up their wounds. It begins to, to give them food and begins to be kind to them. So the jailer who probably didn't care a kit and caboodle for, for their well-being. At three hours earlier is now concern for them. There's a change that begins to take place in his life. Point one on your outline states that the jailer was given a new life and a new heart. At the moment that we believe, believe God and we ask him into our heart and we surrender everything, Jesus breathes upon us and he gives us a new heart and he gives us a new life. And things begin to become 
brand new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and the new life has begun. Ezekiel 36, talking about Jesus' blood and what it will do in the future, says this, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you, and I will take out your stony, stubborn heart, and I'll give you a tender, responsive heart, and I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. The jailer had a new heart, had a new spirit. How do we know that? Point two on your outline states that the jailer's attitudes and actions changed. When you're given a new heart, when you're given a new spirit, you're given new life, things begin to change in your life. His attitude and his actions changed. He went from being the person who bound them and probably persecuted them and hurt them and put them in in to the person who took them out, healed their wounds, gave them food and cared for their needs. His actions and his attitude changed. Um, Jesus, when he walked into Jericho, um, Zacchaeus, you know the story of Zacchaeus, who was a wee little man, wee little man was he, remember that story? He's up in this tree, Jesus comes walking by, and uh, Jesus talks to him and says, hey, come on down, I'm going to eat in your home today, and Jesus shares the good news of new life with him, and he's there in his house, and all the people in the community begin to complain to Jesus, you brought this notorious sinner, this tax collector who has stolen our money, you have went into his home, how dare you? And this, when Zacchaeus hears, hears this, this was his response. Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor. Lord, if I have cheated people of their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Zacchaeus, who used to take money from people illegally, all of a sudden he has an encounter with Jesus. Jesus gives him a new heart. He gives him a new spirit, a new heart. And all of a sudden his actions and his attitudes begin to change. Instead of taking money, I want to give money. Instead of robbing people, I want to bless them. Point three on your outline says this, that the jailer had an eternal impact on his family. An eternal impact on his family. Remember, he not only um, asked, you know, what must I do to say, be saved? And Paul and Silas say, hey, you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You and your whole household today will be saved. You'll have eternal life. You'll have a new and brand new heart. And he brings him to his house so that his family can hear this good news. And his whole family is radically changed. And this family becomes part of the very first Christians in Philippi. The same, if you go back and read the book of Philippians, the people that Paul is writing this story would, would have been to, to this jailer and to his family. Today's Father's Day. And I don't know about you, but as a father, one of the desires of my heart is to lead my family into the ways of God. I want to be a, a, an example to them. I want my life and my actions and my attitude to reflect my heavenly father so that they will reflect mine. Joshua, well, when he was um, in the, the promised land and people were debating, you know, is, are we really going to serve the God? Are we really going to serve God? Now, this is what he says in Joshua 24. He says, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose lands you are living. But as for me and my house, 
we will serve the Lord. This jailer makes the same declaration. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Today, men, I'm asking you, will you make that statement? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. God wants to radically change us. God wants to radically uh, give us new hearts and new life. When Shelly and I were in um, a little small town that we grew up in, like I said, it was a town of about 3,000 people. We were part of a, a church. I was on staff at a church. She was a worship leader there. And we saw one of the most amazing moves of God uh, that I know of. Um, over an eight-week period, we had over 1,000 people make commitments for Jesus Christ in about an eight-week period in our small church. It was an amazing movement of God. We had services about four nights a week, and it was just unbelievable. And I had a really, really good friend, was one of the people who came that night, uh, became one of my uh, heroes of the faith. Matter of fact, we got a picture of his name. is John Mabry. Uh, John was uh, just, before that night, before he gave his life to Jesus, uh, he was not, didn't have a very good reputation in our small community. And if you live in a small community, you know that everyone, everybody knows everything about you. And he was known to um, drink quite a bit too much. He was known not to be a really nice guy. He didn't have a very good relationship with his wife. Didn't have a very good relationship with his family. Uh, on the weekends, he would, uh, was the one who chartered a bus in our small community that would drive an hour and a half to the casinos in Shreveport. And uh, this was what he was known for. The night that he gave his life to Jesus, he goes home, he takes all of his alcohol and he pours it in to the toilet because he's basically an alcoholic. He pours all of his uh, alcohol into it and he'd never touched a sip of alcohol since. He went from being someone who drove buses to the casinos to the person who drove the bus for the church and for all of our youth events. He also became the guy who... Um, he um, Anything that needed to be done around the church, he was the guy who did it. He, he When I would do youth fundraisers, he was the one who cooked all the fish or cooked all the chicken... We would go on mission trips together, and he would feed literally three to 400 people uh, grilled chicken. It was unbelievable. I mean, this, is, this guy's life was totally radically changed. His marriage was radically changed. What, uh, his kids' lives were radically changed. It was unbelievable. Because of that night when God brought an earthquake in his life, and his chains fell off, his life was radically changed. But can I just share with this as well? There was over a thousand people who came, gave their life to Jesus, filled out a card. Not all of their lives were changed. Not all of their lives were changed. Here's a life application for you and me. Is that we need to allow God to radically change us. He allowed God to radically change him. See, I believe that God pursues all of us. And I believe that we have these moments in life where God shakes us and all of a sudden God is there. He's been pursuing us. We turn around and it's like, oh, I'm going to give my life to Jesus. I'm going to say a prayer. I'm going to do whatever. And then all of a sudden our lives are never changed. We never surrender anything. All we want is fire insurance and that's not the God that we serve. God is a God who wants all of us because he gave us all of himself. Listen to what... Romans 12, 2 says, says, Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. I don't know about you, but there are areas in my life 
that I have surrendered to God. And there are other areas of my life that I have not surrendered to God. There are things that I hang on to that I know that God is saying, hey, I'm knocking at your door. I'm pursuing you. Will you surrender this? I'm like, eh, I don't know if I can surrender my finances. I don't know if I can surrender that attitude. I don't know if I can surrender that addiction. See, God has given us his spirit and he has given us everything we need to live a godly life. But our part is to surrender and to cooperate with God. God is a gentleman, and he does not force himself on anyone. The jailer had an opportunity to say, hmm, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but no thanks. He allowed God's pursuit of him to change him. God is actively pursuing you, actively working in our lives. I want to ask Nick to come for a moment, and he's going to sing a song that we sing in this church a lot. It's a song called... Um, uh, the reckless love of God. It's called Reckless Love. And it talks about God's pursuit of us. And just for a moment, as he sings this song, I want you just to close your eyes. And I want you to think of all the times in your life that God has pursued you. I want you to think of all the times that God has chased you down. He's been there when you were in a difficult situation. He helped you through something. Um, man, it's like he did a miracle for your life. And all these things. I want you to stop for just a moment. And then I want you as he's singing to ask yourself, God, what are you asking me to surrender you today? What action, what attitude are you asking me to surrender? Will you close your eyes as Nick sings this?